0: In the holy name of Jesus, amen. With the vote on whether or not to buy the Bible Church today, this is a big weekend at St. John, maybe one of the biggest in the history of this congregation. That there even was a vote today is the result of many years of ideas and meetings and back and forth where all sorts of good people were trying to find out the best way to do what we are meant to do. So I find it more than just a little bit strange that this vote comes exactly nine years to the day after my first sermon at St. John. And it makes me wonder what it was we set out to do nine years ago. If you were here on Pentecost II nine years ago, perhaps you remember that I started that sermon like this. True story, by the time I heard about these boys, they were in the city jail. They were not my boys, but they were church boys, and they were troublemakers, and everybody knew it. And there was one old man in the congregation with whom they did not get along. He was a retired colonel, and he was everything they were not. So one night, just for fun, they filled some balloons with paint, and they loaded into a car. And they piled out onto his front yards and began to splatter the balloons across the front of his house. Before they could get off the front lawn, the police were there, and they all ended up in jail. So the boys called their parents, and the parents said, forget it, we're just like everybody else. We know you're troublemakers too. You can rot in jail for all we care. So if you're a kid, and it's the middle of the night, and you've done something really stupid, and you've ended up in the city jail, and if you called your parents and your parents said, you can stay there for all we care, what do you do? That's right, you call your pastor, <laughs> which is at least what they did. And if you're a pastor and it's the middle of the night and some trouble-making kids from your congregation have just called you from the city jail, what do you do? That's right, you call the elders. <laughs> so the pastor and the elders met at the jail, and they went to the holding cell, and the pastor reached through the bars and grabbed the first kid by the T-shirt and scrunched it up and pulled him close and said, have you been baptized? To which the kid said, yes, sir. That's the proper way to address a pastor if you've gotten him out of bed in the middle of the night to come get you from the jail. Yes, sir, he says. The pastor turns to the elders and says, He belongs to us. Bail him out. And so with the second kid. Been baptized? Yes, sir. He belongs to us. Bail him out. So with the third kid and the fourth and the fifth until they were all out. In one form or another, that is all we have been trying to do for nine years. All we've been trying to do is to create a place where people belong. No matter what their circumstance or their history, no matter the difficulties that they've had, the only thing we've been trying to do is to create a place, a location, a congregation, where people can love and forgive and care in spite of circumstances, a place where everybody belongs. In life... There is only one question, and it's the question that was put to those boys. To whom do you belong? I don't, I didn't know all of you then, and even now I don't know all of you well, but I do know this about you. You all belong to somebody or to something. You should ask yourself right now, to whom or to what? Is it to your career or to status or to wealth? If you had to ask yourself, what defines me, what would you say? Is it the mistakes of your past or your present? Is it the way that people bullied you when you were young? Are those the things that you're afraid of, the things that keep you up in the night? Do you belong to your brains or to your feelings? At the end of the day, will those save you? Do you belong to your kids, to your family, to your friends, or to yourself? And are you sure that you are God enough to make that happen? It is the same question all round about. What defines you? What are you afraid of? What keeps you up in the middle of the night? Who owns you? Who can save you? What drives you? What is your God? It is all the same question. It boils down to this. To whom do you belong? That is the only question in life. It is the only question that matters. If you get that question right, all of your life will be right. And if you get that question wrong, every last thing in your life will be wrong. That's the great thing about this story. It's a story that makes it clear to whom those boys belong. Those boys had been baptized. The Lord had done his part. He had branded them. They belonged to him. They did not know it. They didn't remember it. They didn't act like it. And they didn't care much. But the pastor did and the elders did. And the Lord did too. That is the only business of the church showing people where they belong. It is there in the epistle appointed for this day, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. That's the NIV, and it's a bit polite in translation. When the New Revised Standard Version came out a few years ago, they were much more direct. This is how it read. We preach, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord with ourselves as your doulos, as your slaves, not servants, slaves, for Jesus' sake. This is what Paul says to you and to me. I am Jesus' slave, and I am slave to everyone else here, and I am slave to everyone who does not yet know Christ. That is the Christian life in one sentence. You are slave to Jesus, slave to each other, and slave to those who do not yet know Christ. What else is that but an answer to the question, to whom do I belong? You belong to Christ. You are his disciple. Because you are his disciple, he has put you to work. The only thing that Christ cares about, the only thing, is having his creation back. The only thing that Christ cares about is that he can gather his children home. The only thing he cares about is giving out his gifts so that all his children know they belong. The only thing that Christ cares about is making disciples and making them stronger. That is it. I have said that to you many times over the past nine years. You've said it back to me, but somehow in the course of that time, You and I regularly come unstuck from that and get distracted. By nature, we have a bad nature and we often cannot stay on task. Even today, when we had such a large thing before us, I have a sneaking suspicion that this is not what you came to hear. It's become a bright day with a big plan and a hopeful future. And normally to get out the vote in your normal job, in your normal life, this would be a day all about strong leadership and self-assurance and self-certainty and self-confidence. But Paul doesn't say anything about self in the epistle for today. Paul says the opposite. Paul says that on a big day, you should remember that you're slaves. Christ, to your fellow members of this congregation, and to all those who do not yet know of him. Everything we do, everything, even a vote on a day like today, is meant to reflect that. So the only thing that we are about is to show other people how much God loves them. It is the peculiar plague of the American church that we regularly get things upside down. We come to church expecting to feel good and hoping to be affirmed and thinking that Jesus will make us comfortable. And instead, St. Paul reminds us that we are slaves, which immediately puts us to the test. We are stretched, and we are asked to ignore what we want. We are asked to be interested in what Jesus wants, and the welfare of those around us. We are meant to ask what honors God and is good for our neighbor. Period. Now at this point, you ought to be wondering if there is any upside. And the answer is, of course. Living with Jesus as Lord and Master is the only real life. It is the only life that matters. It is the only life that leads you into being human. It is the only possibility for all of you and for me to live without fear and shame and guilt and grief. It is your last, best, and only chance. And so from the first day I've been here, I've urged you to do just one thing, to make disciples and make them stronger. I've urged just one thing, that you would always remember that you are slave to Christ and to each other and to those who do not yet know Christ. Imagine the upside, if you will. No longer enslaved to career or name or status or wealth which do not satisfy. No longer afraid of the sins of your past or of the pain that was put upon you. You can be free. No longer pushed and pulled by the expectations of others and no longer forced to go it alone as if you were a god. You are terribly poor gods, as am I. Instead this morning you are free. You are free to find your proper place in the cosmos. You are free to be the creature you were meant to be. You are free to belong to God on his terms, not yours. And you are free to live with each other in light and hope and peace and honesty and love, things which, as I grow older, I find are scarcer and scarcer. And you are free to be in a place where you can multiply those virtues here among this group but also for the good of those outside. Slaves for Christ. It is the paradox of Christianity, of Christ himself, that the only way of being free is being bound and the only way of finding your life is to lose it. The first time I preached here, I promised you a couple of things. I promised that I would come prepared and try not to bore you. I also promised that I would try to help you understand your own lives and show how the text of Scripture fits that. I said I would try to give you something catchy to say to your friends, especially the pagan ones, and that I would make time for you if you wanted to see me. And that in that time I would be for you servant and shepherd and friend and father, but at the end of the day it would not be me. That all things would point to Christ and his gifts, baptizing and absolving and suppering. The first time I preached here, I also asked a couple of things of you. I asked that Christ remain first in your lives as well, and that when you come, you would come prepared that you would come prepared, having read your scriptures and said your prayers every day. I had asked that you would come to church every Sunday and bring your children as well. They, like you, are not exempt from the third commandment or the Sabbath in the Old Testament reading for today. And I asked that you would tithe, a real tithe, not the pretend tithe that most Americans or Lutherans try to give and get by with. Because while the water is free, you do in fact need to pay for the pipe. And I also ask that you might learn to do good and to speak well of Christ. All of that got boiled down into seven things that we talk about with every new member. Christ, scripture, prayer, the divine service, generous giving, acts of mercy, and a winsome witness. Why did I promise that? And why did I ask that of you? Because I did not and still do not want to be part of a church that lives at the bare minimum, that plateaus and maintains and gets by and buries its talents and on the last day is fit only to be spit out as lukewarm. That is not safe for you and it is not safe or faithful for me. Together we've had our share of failures and successes. We have been at times mightily surprised by evil, and often mightily surprised by joy. So it actually is good to have a day like this every once in a while, where a fork is planted firmly in the road, And now you all have the advantage which other services this weekend did not have. One side of that fork is sealed off, and we go forward together. We know for certain to whom we belong, and we know for certain what he asks of us. And in the end, the most remarkable thing about you all may be that there is no limit on what you might accomplish. We did what we did today for a single reason because after years of thinking and talking and backing and forthing and studying and working together, this was the best way that we could find in this place and at this time to be slaves to God and to each other and to those who do not yet know Christ. This was the best way in this place and in this time to make disciples and make them stronger. True story, last I heard those boys were back on the old man's front yard again with paint, this time in buckets with brushes and with the old man himself, disciples finally being made stronger. That is the way the gospel works for them and For us. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.